Bibles this evening. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> and let's just read from verse uh, 20 as we begin <clears throat> this evening. Genesis 3 and verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turneth every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to gather around your word uh, in this way. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to each of our hearts this evening, that you would uh, teach us through your word, instruct us through your word, Pray that you would empower me through your spirit, give me wisdom and guidance, Lord, as I speak this evening, uh, that, Lord, it would be uh, your words and your thoughts. That, Lord, you would take your word and, and apply it to each of our hearts, uh, refresh us, uh, bless us through your word this evening, and may we uh, be left singing your praises, and we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, this evening we come to the conclusion of Genesis chapter 3. The chapter began by recording for us the fall of man, uh, that event that changed everything. You know, as we, we saw, the, the woman was tempted uh, by the serpent, uh, tempted or deceived into partaking of the fruit, and then she gave it unto her husband with her, and he ate as well. He partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that one decision, everything changed. Everything changed. They, mankind went from enjoying this sweet, wonderful uh, fellowship, this wonderful relationship with God, to suddenly being afraid of God, afraid of standing in God's very presence. And then in verse 14 through to 19, as we've been looking over the last couple of weeks, uh, we saw the curse that God pronounced as a result of that sin. Verses 14 and 15 revealed, first of all, the curse upon Satan and upon the serpent. Let's just read that. Uh, Verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, uh, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so verse 14 tells us that the serpent was cursed above every other animal. It was cursed in the, in the fact that it would have to go upon its belly. And so its very, very structure was changed forever because of its involvement in the fall of man. Satan, of course, God declared that there would be a, an ongoing conflict between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. And that eventually it would be the seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head, completely defeating him. And as we saw last week, verse 16 through to 19 records the curse to the woman and to the man. Let's just read those verses again. It says unto the woman, 
He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and to dust shalt thou return. And so we saw the curse of the woman and the curse of the man. To the woman, God declared that she would bring forth and raise children in sorrow. And um, God also declared that she would struggle to submit in the marriage relationship, struggle to submit to the headship of the husband within the home. And of course, the curse of the man affected more than just mankind. It affected all of creation as death and decay set in. You know, man was created to work. This, it was a joyful thing to work. But now work became hard. It became a great uh, toil. It became tedious. You know, weeds, thorns and thistles now grew in abundance. Plant life was changed because of the curse. The animals were changed by the curse. Even as we saw microorganisms were changed by the curse. Death, decay, degeneration set in. And so death entered the world. So we've seen the curse. And the chapter now concludes with God casting Adam and Eve out of the garden. You know, God had prepared the garden of Eden to be this perfect home for his children, this perfect home for Adam and Eve and perfect home for, for them to raise their children in. It was the perfect place to live. But because they had rejected him, and now they're in this, this fallen condition, this sinful condition, it was no longer appropriate for them to continue to dwell in the garden. And so God put them forth from the Garden of Eden. And there are three main developments that we want to focus our attention on here uh, this evening as we bring chapter 3 uh, to a close. First of all, this evening we see Adam's faith. We see Adam's faith in verse 20. It says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. I'm going to turn the fan on. <laughs> Might seem ridiculous at home, but it's very hot up here this evening. So, sorry for that. So, first of all, we see Adam's faith here in verse 20. Now, here what we see is Adam's response. Okay? In verse 16 through to 19, we have the curse recorded for us. And then verse 20 is really Adam's response to all that he's just heard God proclaim. And what is Adam's response? Well, his response is that he calls his wife's name Eve. That's Adam's response to the curse. He names his wife. You know, it may not, we may not have realized it before this, but until now the woman hasn't been called Eve. Until this point, this hasn't been her name. You know, we're, we're so used to saying Adam and Eve aren't we? We're so used to, even, even myself I did it as we're going through chapter 3, referring to Eve being the one who's tempted and partaking of the fruit. We refer to her the whole way through this story, identify her all the way through as being Eve. That's the name we use. But it isn't until now in Genesis chapter 3 verse 20 that after hearing the curse, Adam 
calls his wife Eve. Now, in fact, before this, Adam initially called her woman, didn't he? Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. It says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And so the very first thing he says is he calls her woman. That's what he called her. And now he gives her this name. He gives this name Eve. You see, as terrible as the curse was, with all of its effects, all of its implications, the curse also contained a wonderful promise, didn't it? A wonderful promise of the coming Redeemer. Verse 15, as we've seen, declares this wonderful truth that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan. Let's read verse 15 again. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 15 contains this wonderful promise that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan, defeat Satan once and for all. You see, this promise, this promised seed gave them hope of redemption. It gave Adam and Eve hope of salvation. Hope that there was, a, there was salvation from this state of sin that they now found themselves in. There was salvation from the curse. And upon hearing this promise from God, Adam has two choices before him, doesn't he? You know, Adam could either believe God and accept God's promise and place his faith in God's promise, or he could doubt and reject God's promise. Doubt and reject God's word. Now, this was a choice that they had faced once before, hadn't they? Now, God had given them the command that they were not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did eat of it, in the day they ate thereof, they would surely die. God had given them that command and God gave them that, that warning that there was judgment, there was punishment attached to it. There's a consequence if they partake of the fruits. And of course, as we've seen, they chose to doubt and reject God's word, which of course resulted in the curse that we've been looking at. And so on that occasion, they made the wrong choice, didn't they? They made the wrong choice. They, they ignored God, they rejected God's word, and they sinned. Now, as Adam hears this promise from God, he makes the right choice. Adam believes God's word. And this is demonstrated to us in the name Eve. Adam called his wife's name Eve. You see, the name Eve means life. It means life. And we're told in the verse that he gave her this name because she was the mother of all living. That's how the verse ends. It says, because she was the mother of all living. So she's called life because she is going to be the mother of all descendants. They're all going to come from Eve. You see, this name indicates to us that Adam believed God's promise. God's promise that not only would they have children, but also that through this would come the promised seed. The seed of the woman to destroy Satan. Adam believed God's promise here. He accepted it by faith. The commentator Gusick, he writes this, he said, "Adam Adam named her Eve even though she was not a mother at all at the time. She was not even pregnant yet. Adam named her in faith, trusting God would bring forth a deliverer from the woman, 
because God had said he would defeat Satan through the seed of the woman. And that's the point here. In faith, Adam names his wife Eve. He gives her this name. You know, it's also evident here that there's a change of heart as well. There's a change of heart that's taken place here. Adam, Adam's attitude has changed. You know, before this, when God first met him after he'd partaken of the fruits, God was questioning Adam, and Adam's response to that questioning was to blame Eve, wasn't it? To blame his wife. And, he, and in turn, also to blame God. He said, the woman thou gavest me. He blamed God by implication. And of course, the woman turned around and blamed the serpent. They played the blame game. They weren't willing to own up to admit their sin. But now it's evident that after listening as the Lord has declared this curse, Adam's attitude towards himself, towards his sin, and towards God has changed. Now, Adam could see that God was just in his punishment of him. You know, he's heard God you know, hand out the curse, and Adam knows that God is just. He knows he deserves it. He's accepting of that. You know, Adam also in that could see God's mercy, couldn't he? He could see that God was being merciful to him in making this promise. Merciful to all mankind in making this promise. God had been merciful in allowing them to live and reproduce. So the seed of the woman might come one day. So Adam's response of faith shows to us that he is repentant of his sin. There's a change of heart here. And he's willing to trust the promise of God for salvation. The commentator Morris, he writes this, he says, He was truly sorry for his grievous mistake and was willing now simply to thrust himself on God's mercy and trust him for salvation. No doubt Eve also experienced the same change of heart. In spite of their condemnation unto death, God promised they would indeed live long enough at least to have their children and raise them. They believed God's word and so were saved. And that really is what we see here in verse 20. It's a declaration of Adam's faith. And of course we see Eve's faith in chapter 4 as she says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She believed God's promise. So they both demonstrated faith here. Secondly, now this evening we see God's provision. God's provision. We've seen Adam's faith. We see God's provision in verse 21. It says, Under Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? In response to Adam's declaration of faith, God now proceeds to provide a covering, some clothing for Adam and Eve. Now, of course, they tried to solve this problem themselves, hadn't they? Back in verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together. Let's just read that. Verse 7, it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves aprons. And so they tried to fix this problem. They tried to cover their sin, their shame. But of course their efforts were not sufficient. And that was immediately clear. Because as soon as they, uh, God came walking in the cool of the garden in the eve of the day, what happened? They hid themselves in fear of God. And so it was immediately clear that their efforts were in vain. This was, you know, as we said, their attempt at works salvation. But now they've accepted the curse from God, and in faith they've believed the promise of God, and God now acts providing clothing for them. And with this act, 
God shows them in type how the promise will be fulfilled. That promise that Adam and Eve have just believed in faith, God shows them now in type how it will be fulfilled. In verse 21, God tells us, it says, um, sorry, turn over, 21, it says, Under Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God makes coats of skins for them and clothes them. Do you realize this is the very first time that we read of physical death taking place in the Word of God? God takes some of the precious animals that He created and God kills them to provide a covering, to provide clothing for Adam and Eve. These animals here become a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. Morris again, he writes, Perhaps they silently and sorrowfully watched as God selected two of their animal friends, probably two sheep, and slew them there, shedding their blood before their eyes. They learned in type that an atonement or covering could only be provided by God through the shedding of blood on the altar. And that really is the wonderful picture that we have here. God now in type shows them how the promised seed will redeem mankind. God in type shows them what's necessary. Adam and Eve had tried to cover their sin, tried to cover their shame with fig leaves, but that was not sufficient. God had said that the consequences for sin was death, and so someone had to die to pay the price. And these animals now die. They shed their blood to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. You know, this verse, Genesis 3.21, is such a wonderful verse. It's a verse that lays the foundation of so many of the doctrines of God's Word. You know, God puts in place here in this verse, in this act here, God puts in place principles that are built upon right throughout the Word of God. And then ultimately they are fulfilled in Christ. You know, the principle of atonement is put in place here. Atonement is the idea of a covering to be at one minute again with God, to be reconciled to God. Atonement is put in place here. God provides a covering so that fellowship might be restored. Redemption, the principle of that's put in place here. The price is paid, the blood is shed. Substitution, the animals die instead of Adam and Eve. They die as substitutes for them. Propitiation, God's righteous demands are satisfied, are met as the animals die and the blood is shed. Justification. Adam and Eve are now able to stand just before God, covered by the blood of the sacrifice. You see, the the principle or foundation of all these doctrines and more is put in place here in Genesis chapter 3. It's a wonderful verse. Put in place here with this verse and then they're built upon right throughout the Old Testament. God here acting as the high priest sacrificed these animals in place of Adam and Eve, making it clear what was necessary for sin to be dealt with. What was needed was a sinless substitute, dying, shedding its blood to provide a covering for the guilty party. That's the principle God puts in place here. You know, in the New Testament, this picture becomes clear, doesn't it? becomes clear, and and we see it perfectly fulfilled in Christ, the promised seed of the woman, 
the promise that they believed is fulfilled in Christ. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 6, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin, the penalty that we all face is death. That's the, the price that must be paid. The sacrifice must die. Here is 9.22 tells us that that death must be by the shedding of the blood. This is without the remission. Uh, sorry, without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission. The blood must be shed. Of course, that's in accordance with the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 tells us that it's the blood that provides atonement. Let's just read that verse. Leviticus 17. <clears throat> Leviticus 17 and verse 11 It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The blood is the proof that the sacrifice has died, and the blood is what provides the covering for sin. And that's what's pictured there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And it's fulfilled in Christ when he died on the cross. Isn't that what 1 John 2, 2 tells us? And he is the propitiation, the satisfaction for God's righteous demands. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. You see, trying to get to heaven on our own means is like, you know, sewing fig leaves together. It's like sewing fig leaves together. It's not sufficient. It will not restore us to fellowship with God. It doesn't matter how much we do. Nothing can save us other than the sacrifice, the covering that God provided and supplied by faith in the finished work of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that redeems us, isn't it? That's what First Peter tells us. The precious blood of Christ redeems us from our sin. And that's what's pictured here in this wonderful event. You know, Wiesby, he writes this, Innocent animals had to die so that the man and woman might have a new beginning and be back in fellowship with the Lord. It's a picture of what Jesus did for sinners on the cross when he died for a sinful world. And that's the picture here. It's the whole idea that Christ, the promised seed, would die to restore fellowship with God. Fellowship is restored through the death and shed blood of the innocent substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've seen Adam's faith, we see God's provision. Thirdly and lastly this evening, we see Adam expelled. Adam expelled from the garden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 again. <clears throat> Genesis 3 and verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter 3 now concludes with Adam and Eve being expelled, put forth from the Garden of Eden. You know, this might seem strange considering the fact that Adam has just declared his faith in the promise of God. 
And God has provided a covering for them, demonstrating what that promised seed would do, picturing what Christ would do. Fellowship has been restored, so why would God now cast them out of the garden? The reality is that this is the act of God's grace and mercy. This is God's grace and mercy to man. Now, verse 22 here, we're given a, a brief insight once again into the inner counsel of God, the, the, the triune God here having a discussion. Verse 22 it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. We're given a glimpse again into heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having a conversation about man. We saw this once before in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 where there was a discussion concerning the creation of man. Let's just go back there and read it. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we had this discussion between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit concerning the creation of man. And now we have a discussion concerning man and his living in the Garden of Eden. Discussion concerning this. We read in verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. See, this was the result of eating the fruit, wasn't it? The result of eating the fruit was that their eyes were open, knowing good and evil. And there is sadness in the voice of God here, isn't there? This is not what God wanted for man. There's sadness in the voice of God. He didn't want man to know good and evil. He wanted them not to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so there's sadness in the voice of God. But of course, man had rejected God's word. Man had sinned. Before this, Adam and Eve, they only knew good. They only knew the goodness of God. But because they partook of the fruit, they now knew evil and they knew it experientially. They had sinned. Man had been created in God's very image, but now that image was marred because of sin. It's because of this that God determines now to send man forth from the garden. As we read there in verse 22 to 24. Now in the midst of the garden there was of course the tree of life. It says that there at the end of verse 22 it says, And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. In the midst of the garden, there is the tree of life, which we've looked at before. This wonderful tree that God created with the ability to impart life to the one who ate of it. You know, before the fall, this wasn't a problem. Adam and Eve could freely partake. It wasn't a problem for them to eat of the tree of life. But now, now that they've sinned, if they eat of the fruit of the tree of, the, of life, man would live forever in this fallen, sinful Cursed states. Now I was thinking about this week, but even today, the desire to live forever is the desire of man, isn't it? Man, you know, they, their desire is they extend their life. 
They find the fountain of youth. But you know, what they want is to extend their physical life here on earth, this life of sin, and that's a life of separation from God, isn't it? It's a life separated from God. You see, if God had let Adam and Eve and indeed their descendants eat of the fruit of the the tree of life, then people would not know the consequence of sin, really, would they? As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Of course, it's spiritual death, but it's also physical death. It's physical death. Spiritual death, separation from God, but physical death would come as well. And so Adam and their descendants must die physically. That's the consequence of their sin. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgments. Man must die and then face the judgments. You see, this is the effect, the, the consequence of sin. And it's one that drives mankind to God, isn't it? The fear of death is one that drives men to seek God. To understand Him, to seek for His forgiveness. And commentator Morris writes, It would have been calamitous had they continued in a perfect environment as sinful people, especially eating of the, the tree of life and living indefinitely in such a condition. They and their descendants to many generations must be taught the true nature and effects of sin and of living out of fellowship with God so that they could eventually come to know and understand and love him fully as saviour as well as maker and provider. Indeed, death is the consequence of sin. And so man had to suffer that consequence. And it's a consequence, it's an effect that drives man to God to seek forgiveness, to seek eternal life through Him, through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And so God in His mercy, God in His grace, drove Adam and Eve out of the garden to stop them from partaking of the fruits of the tree of life. Now, verse 24, we're told that God puts cherubim there to guard the way. It says in verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God places cherubims at the east of the garden to guard the way and there's a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life, to guard the Garden of Eden. You know, these cherubim are there to, to stop Adam and Eve from entering in. You know, it's interesting to note that cherubim in the Word of God are always closely associated with the throne of God or the presence of God, a meeting place with God. In Psalm 80 verse 1, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims. Shine forth. Psalm 99 verse 1 says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims that the earth be moved. We go on and look at verse after verse. It talks about God's presence between the cherubims. His throne is there. Now in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, what did it have on top? It had two cherubims looking down upon the mercy seat. God's dwelling place amongst the children of Israel. God's meeting place. 
And so the point is that cherubim were always associated with God's presence, with a meeting place with God. And so by implication, it seems that God's presence was particularly manifest at the tree of life and indeed in the Garden of Eden. This was a meeting place with God. You know, sadly, the way to God's presence was now shut because of Adam and Eve's sin. You know, what they had enjoyed was now closed off to them, wasn't it? They had enjoyed this close, personal, wonderful relationship with God. But now that presence was shut off. They couldn't enter in to the presence of God like they did. There was separation now between God and man. You know, that separation continued right throughout the Old Testament, didn't it? In the temple, there was always the veil separating. The only one who could go in was the high priest with the blood sacrifice. But you know, we can rejoice because the way has been made open once more through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless sacrifice who died for each of us. The way has been open, made open, sorry, once more. Go to Hebrews 4 with me just quickly. Hebrews chapter 4. We know these verses well, but Hebrews 4. Verse 14, here we chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are able now, because of Christ, to come boldly under the throne of grace, enter into God's very presence. We don't have to go through some man. We go through Christ, the great high priest. You see, in Christ, fellowship is restored. The, the veil is taken away. There is no separation. It's made open once more. And we can rejoice in that wonderful truth. You know, this evening we've seen Adam's faith, we've seen God's provision, and we've seen Adam expelled from the garden. But you know, through it all, we've seen also God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy toward man. You know, today as believers, we can rejoice in God's wonderful provision for us. He sent His Son to provide the perfect sacrifice, so that through simple faith in Him, we might be saved and have eternal life dwelling in his presence once more. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, Lord, for this passage here in Genesis chapter 3, a passage which, Lord, just lays down so much foundation for the doctrines of your word, a passage which is fulfilled so wonderfully, so gloriously in Christ. Lord, we rejoice in the knowledge that through faith in Him, in that wonderful, perfect sacrifice, we now have access to You once more, able to have sweet fellowship with You. And Lord, we thank You. We praise You for that. Lord, may You help us to remember these great truths. May You help us to rejoice in in who You are and what You've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.